You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Hello and welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. I'm Johnston and this week I am joined by Mark. Hello Mark. Hello. And um, you you joined Connor a while back to discuss the Fifth Doctor box set from Big Finish uh, in a bonus episode. Uh, We're kind of picking up where that left off really. We're going to talk about the first trilogy big finish released set during season 19 so it's the first trilogy they did with the fifth doctor nissa tegan and adric a very full tardis a very full tardis that writers kind of struggled to give every member of the team something to do uh on the on the tv series itself have failed so it'll be interesting to sort of see as we look at these stories whether that's that's something that sort of happens here or whether there's a better balance, I think. Uh, one thing to look at, anyway, as we carry on. Um, so, yeah, spoiler warning. Uh, we might talk about the events of the Fifth Doctor box set. We might also jump forward to the second Season 19 trilogy that Big Finish did, although we are going to look at that properly in another episode at some point down the line. Um, so, yeah, just Fifth Doctor Season 19. That's your spoiler warning. Uh, big finish related to speed season 19 uh obviously as i mentioned we we've had or we did have the fifth doctor box set before this um which was it, i mean it, it was the introduction to Ad, of adric to big finish wasn't it, it um, was, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah and uh two incredibly strong stories just i remember listening to it um it was actually quite a while after it came out i didn't get straight to it but just thinking, flipping out, why have I left this so long? This is really, really good. These are sort of really, really strong, enjoyable stories. Um, two different stories and quite varied. But I guess um, the logical next step was to put that TARDIS team into a into a trilogy. And the Fifth Doctor previously had a storyline, the older Nyssa storyline going on, and that kind of wrapped up. So... The big what next after a a year of just Tegan and Nyssa was obviously the season nineteen crew. So um, when you when you first sort of heard that they were going to do more uh, with the season nineteen TARDIS team, what were your sort of first thoughts, Mark? Oh, I, I was very pleased because my I mean this really is my Doctor Who. Like I, I this is the stuff that I is really my earliest memories of the show. That that season nineteen TARDIS crew and um, 
you know, so the the more I mean that that whole vibe, that whole era, um, and I, which was captured so well in that uh, psychodrome and, and iterations box set. Um, that that's the bit I was nervous about. I was I, I suppose they, they they so well captured the era there that I thought you know can they can they match it? And I suppose there's also a bit of a thing of. Um, you know, you, you don't you don't want to sort of overexpand you know, beyond the point of plausibility. How many stories could could slot in? But I think they find a, a sort of a good number there that they may even be able to fire a few more in. Um, but because they, they've given us the bookends, I sent in a sense, haven't they? They've given us um, immediately after Castor Valva and immediately before Earthshock, and so this this is the sort of connective tissue going going through, and um, so. Just, I suppose, as always, I look at it and I go, right, who who's going to be writing for them? And then you sort of see a name like Andrew Smith, and you say, um, okay, well, who who knows Adric better than than this guy? You know, uh, and and he's he's always very dependable about putting a very solid um, story that feels era authentic together. So you've got that at the outset, and um, yeah, that then I'm looking at two writers who were otherwise completely unfamiliar to me. So I'm thinking. You know, I, I suppose that's always the thing going in is like, right, who's writing, and if if they're new names, do I need to be nervous about that? Which ultimately I didn't in this case uh, because they they did really a really good job. But um, so yeah, I, I suppose I, I looked forward to them, but tentatively, I guess would be the way to put that. Yeah, I think that. Uh... It, it it was kind of good to see that it was moving forward and that we were going to get other stuff. And as you say, Andrew Smith, the obvious writer to kind of go to for this sort of thing. Um, yeah, it, it was it was good that this was sort of something they were going to pick up and continue. It's they're a fondly remembered TARDIS team as well. That sort of very transitional era at the start of the eighties when you know Tom Baker went out, Peter Davison came in, and. Season 19, I think, is one of the really the very few classic series that very much has its own style and its own identity. Um, and I think that these audios do do a good job of kind of capturing that feel. But at the same time, they are bringing something new to the table. We are getting something different. It's not like it's just three remakes of The Visitation of Fort of Doomsday or whatever. And I think that's that's when Big Finish works best, when it kind of sort of tips its hat to the era that it's in, but at the same time does something a bit different and uh, experimental, I suppose, in some cases, particularly the case of the Starman, actually. I think it's quite an experimental story. Okay, um, so uh, you've picked the order that we're going to go in today, and it's out of release order. Uh, do you yes. just want to sort of explain uh, why you've why you've done that? Basically, because um, some I, it took me a while to actually get to these releases just for for budgetary reasons, and by the time I did so, I kind of um, without wanting to get spoiled on the stories themselves, I kind of had a bit of a tentative look at, at, at the general reaction on some of the forums like Gallifrey Base and so on, and um, I noticed that on there they were talking about the the, the order should be um, slightly different from the release order because um, it. So, so the Starman still comes first. It's 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 then the swapping over of um, so the release order was 
contingency club before Zaltus, wasn't it? But um, as several people online pointed out, in the contingency club, Tegan's very keen still to get home. And, um, you know, it's still all about, like, when are you going to get me to Heathrow and, and that sort of vibe. And then by the by Zaltus, it's, um, uh, you know, Tegan, Nissa realized at the doctor that Tegan seemed quite content to stay. And, and you know, we're into that phase where she's let go of, of, of that kind of initial hook for the character where she where she continually wants to get back home and she, instead she wants you know to, she, she's grown she's bonded with these fellow travelers and she wants to spend a bit of time with them and and, and just see how their lifestyle goes so it, it just makes more sense that given that that that's what's said in, in each of the respective stories that 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 the release order should really be flipped for those last two um and I've seen I've seen most people put their kind of chronologies together that that way. So I'm I'm happy to take <laughs> take the lead from that. I mean, it, it feels right to me to, to put them that way around. Well, that's what we'll do then. And it, it is actually sort of a common misconception that Tegan spends the entirety of season 19 wanting to get back to Heathrow. It's not true. There is a point where she sort of goes, "Oh, actually, I'm okay sticking around for a bit." Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's definitely. Um, sort of in keeping with how the the season itself goes. Um, yeah. yeah, I quite like that. Um, so the three stories we're looking at are Starmen, Zoltis, and the Contingency Club, in that order. Um, so before we dive in, I'm going to ask you to pick a favourite. Uh, for me, the favourite was, um, I'll be interested to hear if you, if you agree on this one, Zoltis was... was um... Was the one I chose because it, it, it I, this is my second time around listening to them, so I, I, I re listened to re- refresh the memory for, for this podcast. And um, I, I had a feeling that Zoltus would remain the strongest one for me, which indeed it did. Um, what I was surprised by was that the contingency club, which I had sort of not really hadn't really warmed to very much on first listen, like it was, it was okay on first listen. But I find it much more engaging this time around. Um, like it really uh, impressed me in a way it didn't before. Um, the Starman I thought was a great strong opening, and um, as I say, like Andrew Smith put the very f- firm foundation in because you know you are dealing with Adric and that team, and he's just got it. He's just got a you know a really good good hold on those on that whole era. But um, no, Zaldis was the one where I just felt like. Uh, I hadn't heard that. hadn't heard anything by that writer before, but I just thought he got a really good balance of elements into the thing. Um, it was very, you know, it was, there was a really good balance of. He throws a lot of continuity into it, um, references and things, but he doesn't overdo it. And usually, there's a point to them, like there's a humorous point to them, or a bit of foreshadowing or something. And um, yeah, and, and he gets he gets the. Actually, all three releases do this really well, where they, they just have the the banter of that TARDIS team down re- really well. They, they just they replicate that um, kind of slight bickering, mostly teasing, but clearly friends, you know. And um, anyway, I think his uh, engagement with that side of things. But also just, I think he came up with a really interesting concept and 
characters and um yeah i just i just i just like that one best but there's there's none of the three i disliked i thought i thought all three were really really pretty damn good you know um yeah i i really enjoy zoltis i would agree with you i do think it's the the best of the uh this trilogy um it's uh it's a matthew j elliott story isn't it and Yes. A lot of people do sort of aim the, oh, you know, too many continuity references and so on thing there. But this is big finish. It's it's a niche product for the fans. I don't think there's any harm in chucking in continuity reference, especially, as you say, when there's a bit of a joke attached to it or something like that. Um, yeah, if it's just for its own sake, it feels a bit gratuitous. But I think I don't think at any point he loses sight of the fact that, that those continuity references sort of need to justify their presence a little bit. A few throwaway ones, maybe, but but quite often they're used in a just in a nice. Um, not really sure how to put it, but it just, there was a sort of a point to them. Yeah, uh, there's it gets the balance right, and it's sometimes Doctor Who does, sometimes Doctor Who doesn't, but there's definitely a balance in this one. I think definitely gets that. Um, so we'll talk about Zoltis a bit more in a little while. Uh, but let's start on the Starmen, which is the first in this run. Um, this is a story that I kind of didn't get on with so much on my first list, and I actually st- struggled to follow it, kind of, it, for some reason whatsoever. It didn't, sorry, for some odd reason, uh, it just didn't quite hold my attention. But on second listen, uh, about a year afterwards, I actually really, really got on board with it and really enjoyed it. Um, it gives every member of the TARDIS team something to do by splitting them up a little bit and sort of introduces a uh, the kind of villain that you don't get much in performed Doctor Who. I think that you, you do get books with similar villains to the Starmen in them, but I think in terms of TV and Big Finish, you don't really get so much like that, uh, and I quite enjoyed that. Um, so what are your thoughts on the Starmen? Yeah, I, I do really like it. I, I had a slight reversal of what you're talking about there insofar as my my time my first time listening to it, it came across as a as a pretty strong story to me. And it's not that it's not that it was weak this timeline, it, it far from it. Um it's just that in one or two places I thought, oh, this is a bit more in you know what Russell T. Davis would call like Planet Zog territory than I remember. Um, and it was just making a little mental adjustment to, to that dimension of it. Um, but I mean, that to, to say it was entirely that would be would be unfair because it actually has some really creative stuff. It's just that there's a there's a portion of the story where it kind of um, you know there's, there's talk of my my people are enslaved and are mining for this and that, and it's kind of like oh that, that's like the that's like the most you know hackneyed sort of Doctor Who trope that that you could imagine, except. That all of the stuff that then surrounds that, or you know, is is on either side of that, um, balances it out pretty well. And I think there's some pretty creative ideas, um, like this idea of the, this, what the star men are, and and the, and the idea of the bridgehead, you know, coming across from this alternate universe. Um, it's not even an alternate universe, is it? It's it's sort of like one of those, these sort of side universes or whatever that populate the the the, the, the kind of mid-median era of Doctor Who. Um, and, and I can sort of picture what, what they would look like, you know, if they were done on TV in, in 1981 or 1982, you have these 
walking figures that are basically just a black cutout silhouette, but with the with the the Peter uh, the Sid Sutton title sequence um, showing through them, you know. Um, so so yeah, like that, all that stuff. Some really incredible kind of visual ideas and high concept ideas and. So, so when I talk about the Planet Zog stuff, that really is low in the mix, but it, it was just more there than I had remembered it being. Um, there's a guy, there's an actor in this who, who voices the, the, the kind of the main, you know, really the, the one voice of the Starman, you know, collectively. Uh, Rovis is the name of the, the character. But he, he's voiced by a guy called Peter Guinness, and his voice is just... In, like he's he's just amazing for this part. Like he's, I think I've only heard him in one other thing in Big Finish, which is um I'm I'm almost certain he was the the Phantom of the Opera in in their adaptation of that. Um, and he just has this real it's like a it's like a sort of half gravelly and half smooth voice, but it's just got a real natural menace to it, and he embodies that role um so well. He just brings so much to the table, and um. Yeah, but but as, as as a story, yeah, it was it was it was strong. I thought, um, and, and they they see it in at the beginning this thing of um, there's this kind of running joke about Adric learning to fly the TARDIS. So it it kicks off, you know, on this kind of already quite um, humorous note for the team, where there's going to be this running running gag about Adric trying to finally get to grips with the TARDIS, and and um, he basically gets them killed. In a flight simulation, <laughs> which which is just as well, you know, they, they've kind of just set it up like like for practice. Um, but uh, but the, talking talking of Adric, he gets this um, sort of quite a quite an unusual thing for him, like a sort of love interest story, um, where, where there's a bit of a, a kindred spirit in, in this character called Autumn, and she she's like a fellow mathematical prodigy and everything, um, and and she really she really just uh, yeah, it's, it's very clear. It's very, very um, unsubtly signposted that she's kind of fallen head over heels for Adric within about five minutes, um, which which I think he takes a little while to either get comfortable with or or fully uh, or for the penny to fully drop with him that this is the case. But um, yeah, so, so you've got that side of things. Um, you've got really some very cool uh, concepts like the the. the the leap drive, you know, that this this thing about these, these the first spaceships that are taken off into deep space, and how they explain that concept by saying this is a very Doctor Who thing. You know, there's a, there's a slight smattering of mathematics to make it all sound very um, you know grounded in reality, and then they then they ultimately just say like what it does is it folds space like a piece of paper, and you just punch through. I thought, yeah, yeah, that's that'll do. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a really it's a very Doctor Who. Uh, way of putting putting something you know just see it in a bit of science and then go but actually it's just this you know it's it's kind of it's kind of magic and science fused perfectly um yeah i think that it, it's you were very right when you said that it's um it's very bid median in it in its approach it, it's definitely sort of it's almost like a glimpse of what if christopher h bid me script edited season 19 um, instead of it being the musical chairs system that they ended up having. Um, I think that, um, you know, this sort of, as I said earlier, it's a high concept story, the sort of thing that we don't normally get in Perform Doctor Who, but actually it's a high concept story if 
it was in if if it was done as part of season nineteen, if it was done in the early eighties. Um, and I do sort of think that that's an interesting way to approach it. And actually, it's not really something Big Finish have done before. Um, that sort of let's do something a bit pseudoscience-y, but with the fifth Doctor instead of the fourth in his final days. Um, anything you'd like to add before we move on? Yeah, actually, just on that point about taking the inspiration from the time itself it's it, um I, I was kind of thinking like what was andrew smith and were the other writers who put themselves in this mental space of like if i was writing this in 1981 or whatever um uh, what, what what would i've been looking around for inspiration to and, and obviously like in the in the second trilogy that we'll discuss at some stage there's the very obvious like charles and diana kind of <laughs> inspiration in, in one instance yes. but but like you've got um, even small things like it, like in this one you've got um, this thing where the, the the people who are possessed by this alien force, um, they they speak with their their lips don't match their um, their voices you know so they're they're not lip syncing correctly and something just made me immediately think of like early eighties top of the pops there you know like like it was sort of <laughs> almost like that that was kind of in. Or, or would have been in a, in a writer's head writing it at the time. It was just kind of a thing to, to latch onto and say, but what if that was a sci-fi thing? Um, but uh, the, the other thing I just wanted to say was like, um, I haven't really mentioned Tegan who gets the other kind of, I think I think Nissa actually in this one is the one who has, has to step back. You're talking, you were talking before about the balance. And I think she's the one that maybe gets the slightly lighter share of things. Um, but it's, I think the choice has made it pretty good because because you have to, have to send somebody off to the other universe and that in this case is is Tegan and um, and and you see so you have her coping with that and having the whole um, you know uh, initial voyage into that other space um, and giving the Doctor a reason to have to go through the the portal and so on. Um, I think Adric's the one who does really get the sort of strongest foregrounding and it's not just the love interesting but i think it, it really shows you the extent to which he's been strengthened by his experiences with the doctor because when there's an attempt made at one stage at um possessing him in exactly the same way as other people in the base have been possessed he he resists and the way he does it is 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 to sort of is to use his own natural gift, his superpower, if you like, of, of mathematics. Um, you know that that's his real skill set. But also to do that very doctor's thing of like put, putting a fortress around your mind with with this like wall of numbers. So he starts reciting prime numbers, and um, then he goes into the Fibonacci sequence. And and this is sort of relegated in that moment to kind of being the the commentator explaining to the viewer or to the listener rather that this is what's going on. Um, but yeah, all of that stuff I think is is, is really good. It's, it's like taking this kind, of, it's kind of making mathematics cool in a way, <laughs> which is not necessarily the easiest thing um, to to do. And like, it's not like Adric's the coolest character of all time, but um, you, you take you take what what he does have and make a strength out of it. And, and um, I, I thought that was just handled really really well. Um, it, yeah. it, it does make sense to sort of put Adric into that position, really, kind of give him something mathematical to do. And actually, it's something that 
the series never really plays with outside of part four of Earthshock. That's true. Um, yeah. When he kind of gets so overconfident about his mathematical skills that he gets himself killed. Um, yeah. I but, remember... Um, like, remember... We, we're told he's got a badge. Yes. And that's kind of it, really. Yes, and, and if I remember rightly, I, I think I heard Andrew Smith say at one stage that his, his original intention for Adric was not that he was a mathematical genius in, in terms that we could, you know, that he ultimately became, you know, in things like Earthstock, where he can recite these, he can do calculations in a split second that, that are like, you know, to 15 decimal points and stuff like that. But it was more just that he he happened to have, you know, if you like, it was his good subject at school and they gave him a badge and he was proud of this badge, you know. Uh, and I think that's what he originally had in his head. He'd even written full circle somewhat along those lines. But I remember him saying, like, he, he ultimately didn't mind that that, that got amped up by the time our shot came along and, and he he sort of raised an eyebrow and went, well, that's not really what I intended, but but interesting. Okay, so now he's a mathematical... But he because of that, what he does here is he, he walks an interesting balance between the two. He... he he has Adric recite these numbers, and like prime numbers, like it's not, it's not. Well, God knows, I, mathematics wouldn't be my subject, but it's not like. But but then when he goes into the Fibonacci sequence. That's a whole other league of mathematics, probably. Um, but but he also has him kind of make a couple of mistakes under pressure while he's while he's trying to do this. Um, and I thought that was just a really nice touch that that he's like he's he's not such a genius that he's absolutely pitch perfect under pressure um yeah so he's, he's not infallible that. exactly exactly yeah um but yeah no the, the story overall um was really good there's there's a there's a couple of nice we um foreshadowing things in it i think it's this one isn't it where um when it ends um yeah the, the no, no, I'm wrong. Sorry, it's, it's, it's the next story I'm thinking of. I do apologize. I was, I was going to skip ahead to something that um, is in the next story. Well, let's let's nudge our way forward then. Okay. Let's let's head to uh, to Zoltis, which um, I think we both agreed is the standout story of the trilogy. Um, I I like it on a really basic level, but I like it when Doctor Who does vampires. Um, and Doctor Who kind of sets vampires up sort of fairly uniquely in its own lore in State of Decay. They are kind of the arch enemies of the Time Lords, this ancient enemy, an ancient war. And it, it's, again, a concept Doctor Who never really plays with, sort of, you know, evil from the dawn of existence and all that kind of thing. Um and Doctor Who, you know, it, it, vampires do appear in various forms and, you know, we sort of approach it in different ideas uh, in different ways. But um, I think this one, this one's kind of quite a nice, or at least it turns into quite a nice, fairly simple vampires are monsters and they want blood story. It's not done in such a high concept way as, say, State of Decay or even something like The Curse of Fenric, which, mm. you know, is a vampire story if you squint. Um, so, yeah, uh, what do you think of Zoltis then? Yeah, I love that dimension of it as well, the the, the vampire side of it. Um, there's, a, there's a whole lot of other stuff I really like about it too, but 
just picking up on that thread to start with, um, it's really nice actually that that they right at the beginning they have Adric reading uh, Dracula aloud to himself, and then Zeratigan sneaks up sneaks up on him in the in the library, and um, they have a bit of a, a kind of a um, bickery sort of exchange or whatever. But but um, yeah um, yeah. So um, yes, so they, so they see Dracula in right at the beginning there, and then I, I don't know whether it's just me being stupid or uh, the story being so diverting in the interim and in all the other things it's exploring. But when the when the vampires cliffhanger kind of came around, you know, and even that I had, I mean, I should have been really clued in to that, you know, because it was actually signaled quite quite strongly. You know, no windows on the spaceship and. And just the way that, that that there was this sort of um, gothic sort of gently menacing vibe to, to Neve Cusick playing Claremont, and and and, um, and the fact that you know that there's, there's there's these other people on the ship that are going to hunt Tegan down, and um, all that stuff should have clued me in, and yet I somehow still got to that cliffhanger, and it was the first time around, and it was a surprise, um, and that despite having Dracula. You know, uh, dropped in right at the start as a, as a great big like there will be vampires in this kind of signpost. Um, so that that was pleasing. I always quite like being caught out by the obvious in, Doc, in Doctor Who, really, and and it's a testament, I think, to how well constructed and written the story is that that it d- did manage to you know catch me off guard like that. Um, and and the other sort of things that are going on in it, like so so there's this really cool thing set up at the start where. Um, Adric and then Tegan separately disappear from the TARDIS, um, and it's not worked out until later on that that they're that they're sent to either ends of a of a psychic phone call, as it were, you know. And um, so Tegan ends up on this spaceship with the vampire scenario. Adric ends up on this um, underground kind of base on, on a world that's so bright that everybody lives underground. There's a there's a, there's one of the continuity references. It, it, it's likened to being like Thoros Beta, so you can just imagine the the, the the is it Tegan that says it's like a David Bowie video effect or something on this planet, um, being out in the on the surface, and um, yeah, uh, so so you've got all that stuff, but you've got this great character of I'm going to get the pronunciation wrong, but I think it's Jevadam is like this. Um, Volpine, I think, is is the name of the um, is the name of the race, and he just has this great voice and great. He's telepathic, um, and he he uh, he, he um, is a bit of. He's one of these characters where he seems very genial and accommodating, but you're not sure. But he, but it's a bit of a red herring because he's set up to to be the person you think is almost too nice to be trusted. Um, when in fact it's really the other people. Going back to what you were saying about the um, the, the sort of the vampire cliffhanger catching you off guard, um, I listened to this pretty much when it was first released, and despite, as you say, so many hints, completely caught me off guard. I didn't see it coming until about you know a minute or two before the cliffhanger. The oh, you're vampires, aren't you, from Tegan? Um, but then. I, I listened to a lot of other Big Finish to the point where I near enough completely forgot what happened in this one. Um, so when I returned to it, it must have been 
maybe a year, year and a half later, I'd completely forgotten it was a vampire story. So actually ended up getting caught out by the same cliffhanger again. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how it is hiding there in plain sight. But even on the second go, I didn't get it. I completely didn't remember at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it, I do like the way that it is set up. As you say, Adric's reading Dracula and there are just little things here and there to point you towards it. But then uh, I do really enjoy that cliffhanger and I do think Janet Fielding plays it absolutely brilliantly. That I think it's end, is it end of part two where she sort of realises that it's, it's vampires that she's dealing with. Um, I think it's great. I think it's now that I have heard it a few times i think it is one of the most memorable big finish cliffhangers there is i think it's really really well done really well written and played yeah i know you're absolutely right the way dana fielding performs that is 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 so good but i think it's also just a really skillful um piece of writing the whole the whole thing you know the, the, the fact that that happened to you twice you know that you that you got caught out with the same thing twice you know even on that second listen um, and I think part of, part of it is there's a, there's almost a bit of sleight of hand where the main threat of the whole story seems to be this um, impending kind of uh, there's this incoming you know object that's going to crash into this, the planetary surface and so on, which ultimately turns out to be this this spaceship. So you, you, you kind of um, you're you're so busy at either ends of the the mystery that um, or or the um, Worrying, I guess, about what each of the regulars has been thrown into. That you just, yeah, you, you just don't see the vamp. It sneaks up on you. The whole vampire side of it. Um, there's some nice foreshadowing in in the story. It's um, there's things. Their characters will say. You know, some of the regulars will say, say things at times like up to the doctor, like I've never seen you fail, um, and you know that there's about you know later in the season there's going to be this. Um, <laughs> catastrophic event in earth yeah. shop, you he, know, he does fail a bit yeah yeah um <laughs> just just a bit just a bit um, and then at the very end of the story uh on the stuff seated in about um mrs telepathy and stuff as well um with the doctor's going no she's definitely not telepathic you know what are you talking about um so it's like stick a pen in that one and we'll see we'll see if that turns up again you know which of course it does and then um Right at the very end, they've got um, the doctor talking about uh, was it, I forget exactly how he puts it, but it's it's about three three being the perfect number or something for for the it's expressed in some sort of mathematical term, but it's like and then Adric says, well, that's that's one too many, isn't it? That's the only that's the only problem. So he the doctor's thinking it's almost like that. Um, what, what do you call it? Like six. The six faces of delusion, where the the, the six faces the wearer's own, and he, yes. he's forgetting that he's that this three doesn't include him. He's, he's somebody is the fourth, and and the so, so the imperfect four has to be replaced by a perfect three, and that's obviously again foreshadowing of um, of Earthshock. Um, so I thought that was a nice little touch as well at the end, where um, where they just put that in, and it's 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 got it's got foreshadowing significance, but. Um, yeah, so, so overall, I, I really like, and I, I just, I just thought the way all the character interactions were. There's a character called Sable, played by Rebecca Root, who comes into it, and um, 
she she obviously goes on then as an actress to become one of the big Finnish companions and, and, a, and a, an ongoing regular. And, and um, uh, but in this, which I think was her debut for the whole big Finnish involvement at all, um, she, she's really good in it. But her character is also really funny. You know, like she's 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 written in this as this very dry and sardonic um, mercenary kind of character. But the way she um, she'll just throw in one-liners about um, like I think that Nissa at one point says Sarah something like, "Oh, we need to talk about the doctor," and she says, "Oh yeah, if, if you mean that vegetable, I, I agree. It's 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 it need, you know it's it's a bit over the top um, as a piece of bling. Like a, a vegetable's a bit, <laughs> a bit a bit out there. Like it's the, um, the celery never gets addressed enough." Uh, especially yeah. in Big Finish, like it, I love the fact that it was sort of finally addressed in Caves of Androzani, yeah. and it was kind of given a line about you know turning purple when the Doctor encounters gases he's allergic to and all that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. it's in Big Finish. It's very rarely mentioned. It's sort of it's it's a really important, well, not a really important part, but a notable part of the Fifth Doctor. It, it's something that obviously he wears in every single episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and costume kind of gets lost on audio for obvious reasons. Uh, but every story we get a reference to the Sixth Doctor's coat, so why shouldn't we have celery references every yeah, Fifth quite. Doctor's story as well? It it is. It's his Sixth Doctor's coat. It, it is. It is. And and some people, I, I suppose, it just depends on um, you know whatever planetary culture you land in and, 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 or, or if you land maybe in the 1920s and, and you're surrounded by fellow eccentrics, it's like, okay, that guy wears celery in his lapel. That's, that's fine. That's, that feels in the spirit of the age. I don't know. But um, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, but um, the, the other thing, the other line of hers that really made me laugh was at one point she says like um, the, the doctor, the doctor's trying to, re- connect with all the different everybody's kind of got split up and he's trying to c- communicate across the planet and he, he gets through to Nessa who happens to be with Sable in that moment and she, and, and she Sable goes passing the phone essentially goes um uh Nessa that it's for you he didn't give his name um <laughs> which you know it's the it's just like this kind of take of like you know of the doctor who because I think when they're first introduced, uh, she's like, "That's that's not a name, that's a title, or something like that," you know. Um, yeah. So it's a bit of a callback to that, but but also it's just a funny, you know, off offhand remark, and that that story is just chock full of them. Like, even even if I think the setups hadn't have been as good as they were in terms of the actual plot, um, I think just even if they'd landed in the in the dullest place with barely anything going on, just just the way. This guy Matthew Elliott writes those regulars' interactions. They could have been wandering around a shopping center, just you know, or something, anything, you know, and, and it just would have been um, a very easy listen for me because I just think he, he writes them so so well. Those regulars, in, in particular, um, uh, but but there's one where I think that that, that sorry um, Zaltos in particular is the one where I think the balance of you know you were talking about how. How how does this team of four get uh, treated in terms of has everybody been given something to do? Um, are, are they is, is anybody is, is anybody not getting enough of the spotlight? And um, 
I think this is the one where I, f- I feel like it's most evenly balanced. I think impressively evenly balanced, given how much is going on, because Tegan's got her whole thing with Claremont going on. You've got um, Adric sort of gets paired up with um, this Jevedan character, and he's he's working out things about the... the he, he, he's the one that realizes there's something off about the trajectory of this incoming object and, and all that stuff. And then Nis is kind of um, paired up with Sable, and she's... Um, they become a bit of a double act too. So, so it's it's actually really deftly handled. I think, um, I, I don't know whether this is an underrated story. I, 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 seem, I seem to have the impression that it is, and I, I'm not really sure why, because to me, it's it's a it's a very strong, um, like, like, like to me, it's, I don't, I don't know. Is, is it a 10 out of 10? Is it, is it a nine out of 10? I don't know, but it's, it's, it's right up there for me. Like I thought it was really good. I think it's definitely a story that deserves higher praise than it gets. Yeah, and uh, it's. I think it's really enjoyable, really fun. I think it's, uh, as we've said, the best of the trilogy at least. Um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable stuff. Should we move on to our third and final story? Yes. Uh, which is the Contingency Club, which is a a nice sort of. Uh, dig at British upper-class society and the whole concept of private members club and that kind of thing with a uh, with an obviously a, a Doctor Who twist. Um, it certainly strikes me as the, inverted commas here, rompiest of the three stories. It's, it's just a nice sort of fairly traditional, fun, four-part Doctor Who story, I think. Um, so what are your thoughts on the Contingency Club, Mark? Yeah, I, I think, as I was saying before, at the beginning there, that this is the one where, when I first listened to it, it's the one I was least looking forward to revisiting out of, out of the six. And um, when I got to it, I, I almost was like, did I skip this one? I pretend I listened to it, you know, you know, in terms of doing my homework for this. And then I thought, no, like, you're not being fair to it if you don't. And when I, I was so glad I re-listened to it because... It was almost like it was a totally different story to me. I, I think what happened, I remember I wasn't very well mood matched to it the first time around, which was my fault. I, I was just not in a great, great headspace. And it wasn't in that moment providing me with, with the degree of escapism that I needed, you know. Um, but that was not the story's fault. That was my fault. So when I came back to it this time, I was like, okay, we're going to give it a proper hearing. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. It's, it's, it was very enjoyable and you know again i think this writer i'm not sure if i've run into phil mulrine's writing before in another story if i have i've forgotten that it was him but um it was yeah it's it's, it's a great concept it's um again the, the way the regulars interact is just it's, it's, it's a real fizz to their um you can tell the cast are really enjoying delivering the lines that he's given them like even just things like i think it's um massey waters in particular is, is really enjoying his lines because he's he just gets given these things like um there's one where he comes back he goes right hello we're not dead you know like because, uh, st- stuff like that just just really um i don't know he he, he seems adric seems to be in in um more flippant than usual mode or something, or he's been more sarcastic than usual. 
Um, but, but it's not out of character either. It's just it's just sort of taking some qualities that are already in him and, and upping them a bit. Um, and then uh, you've got Tegan uh, off off on her own at one stage with the um, of the guy that oh, is he a journalist? Um, uh, I'm getting a bit muddled now. Sorry, but but um, yeah. Oh, do you know what was really nice about this one? Um, they, they, so, so they they have this business at the beginning about Tegan's um, Walkman. So again, it's like taking something from the, like the, the writer is going right. What, what would I be um, pulling into this as the technological marvels of the time, um, and have and having you know futuristic people call them uh, call it it primitive, uh, and I guess that the, the cassette Walkman was was the perfect. Thing for that, just just as the as the calculator was in um, iterations of I, but um, uh, yeah, so so that's kind of seeded in at the beginning as this thing that's a bit of a joke, but then of course becomes the the the, um, the saving grace in the end as as far as something the doctor resorts to using, um, and, and Tegan's able to sort of gloat a bit about that at the end, but sorry, this is this is a really obscure thing to mention at this point, but did you notice that the music that Tegan was listening to or on, on her cassette is is the music that Sylvester McCoy plays the spoons to in Bang Bang a Boom. Um oh that that's some mega big big finish trivia that. that yeah which makes me sort of <laughs> construct this whole box. And then it turned that same music turns up again in um Serpent and the Silver Mask in in, in a hotel. You know it's like background music in a hotel and you think right okay so I, I've constructed this whole reality now in which like Tegan's cassette tape becomes, you know, it, it, it gets left on a distant planet somewhere ultimately. And then, and then it becomes, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of rediscovered and become, and becomes this big hit intergalactically in the year, whatever, you know, and, and then just, it, it's just like an all time classic. And then Sylvester McCoy ends up playing, playing the spoons to that. And um, that's brilliant. By, by Tegan, Tegan has a space number one. Exactly. She. She. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> she. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's obviously some bit of obscure pop from the nineteen early nineteen eighties that that only she's really liked. But then it's gone on to become this massive smash in in the far future um, because she she left that cassette line around somewhere and somebody's been able to convert it into I don't know whatever whatever the equivalent whatever the the technology then is, but. Um, Anyway, sorry, that's a really silly sidebar to get into, but um, no, the, 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 the sort of central concept of the Red Queen and, and this kind of thing of the the two factions that turn up and they, they each they each decide to, to to it's a game. The whole thing is a game. They're doing it for nothing more than um, uh, the, the fun of it, really, or the, or the, the wager. You know, it's really just about like. Um, Two people from a culture where, like, a bet is is well, and, and they've got this um, this this character Edward that keeps turning like the, the, so. There's this character of Edward who's like the um, the butler or the um, what, what's the right term, the sort of waiter or whatever at the gent- at the gentleman's club, and he um, he's been cloned, you know, umpteen times. So the the place is entirely staffed by Edwards. And the absurdities to which this is taken in the end, you know, become increasingly. At one point, they're cloning him, and they they find 
the area under the club where where, where all the Edwards are created and, and, and basically he's just been um grown in these baths or whatever. And um so yeah, so some of some of the concepts are pretty out there, but it's it it it, it actually boils down to quite a, a basic thing in the end. It's just like an alien to, sorry, two two rival aliens from the same species and they each pick a kind of a team and it's which team wins. And some pretty drastic things like dynamite and whatever are resorted to to to, to have a, a, a final contingency, if you like, in, in place. Um, and uh, and the doctor saves the day. But it, it's yeah, in revisiting it, I, I enjoyed it. It's 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 my least favorite of the three, I think. But it I enjoyed it way more than I did originally, and I was glad to revisit it and give it that second chance. And and um, and you know what? It was just it's just fun to spend time in this TARDIS, this particular TARDIS team's company, no matter what they're doing. So I, I'm, I'm very forgiving, even, even a, even a more middle of the road story. I'm very forgiving of as, as long as I'm listening to these guys, you know, um, but it was a stronger story than I, than I remembered. Yeah. I think there's, it's one of those stories that maybe doesn't stick with you. Maybe you don't sort of remember, you know, an amazing standout cliffhanger like you do with Zoltis or, um sort of the high concept stuff like you do with Starmen. But it's it it's a really good little four parter. And as you say, it's sort of there is a mystery there that sort of unfolds and it kind of just gets a little bit more absurd as it goes along. Um it's got a really, really good supporting cast as well. Uh you've got Clive Merrison and Philip Jackson as well, who um sort of I watched uh as uh, the inspector in Poirot as I was growing up. So I, I sort of instantly recognized his voice okay. uh, and jumped straight on that. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it, he does sort of play that, that sort of British upper class role quite well. Um, so yeah, it, it, there's so much to enjoy in this story. And it's, I think, like you say, it's perhaps one that you don't leave the trilogy remembering over the other two but it's it certainly deserves its place and it's certainly worth a re-listen um whenever the opportunity comes along yeah it's a good story okay then i think that probably means that we're out of time i think we're probably out of time now um so uh we'll return in the not too distant future and discuss the second trilogy set during season 19 which plenty to talk about we've already mentioned the uh not so subtle charles and diana allegory yes uh, in one of the stories so i'm looking forward to getting to that um but yeah i, I think we've got a uh, another three good stories ahead of us so we'll return to talk about those sometime soon but meanwhile uh, i will say thank you and goodbye to you mark yep um i've enjoyed it thank you bye <laughs> And we will return to Spodcast about the Fifth Doctor, Nissa and Adric, and Tegan a little bit more in the not-too-distant future. Goodbye now. <laughs> <laughs>